Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is James Neem, a comedian out of Oklahoma City. James started doing stand-up way back in 2007, and he has two albums on his comedy label, Robot Save City. He's also a drummer of the Nims, a band he started with his brother. We talked a lot about his last 15 years as a comedian and a drummer, and a whole lot about punk rock, too. So I had a fucking blast. Go listen to his albums. Do it now. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. It's five bucks a month. You can also follow Homebrew Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewcomedy.com to see all of my show dates. There's a lot of them there. Thanks again. I'll touch you guys next week. Take care. Outside your bedroom, I, I hope they let me in. Thank you so much, dude. I appreciate you taking time. Uh, what did I pull you away from? Uh, I just went for a jog. I work from home now. I just got this new job. It's pretty. It's pretty sick. I don't know if I should say sick anymore. If like people get triggered <laughs> when I say that, but. Um, I got this new job and I work from home and I just got off and I went for a jog and now I'm talking to you about the thing I love, which is the job, right? Yeah. I love the job. <laughs> I live for my day job. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the job? Uh, I'm writing for, I'm doing education stuff. It's like technical writing. It's my first job like this. And I don't, I didn't think I would like it as much as I do, but everybody there is just a big nerd. And I get to work from home. I get to like my hours are a lot more flexible. And uh, yeah, it's been nice. I think I could like actually be a comedian with this job. Like I could like work remotely and like at like a comedy club, like in a condo or something. I like I have like fantasies about it now. I wonder if that is going to be the trend. I know when I was working at uh, a marketing company, and I I, I don't want to brag, but I was laid off before the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but they had the capability of saying, okay, well, everybody can work from home if they want. And I just had these dreams of like, yeah, that that's what I want. Like, so I, if I wanted to move to New York city or Los Angeles, I could still have this job that was paying me a little bit more than what I make as a comedian. Uh, yeah. A lot more. Uh, <laughs> perfect. But I wonder if like, that's the trend where, where everybody's going to try to get the remote job because they're a little easier. Yeah. I was, I honestly, when I first started doing comedy, I didn't know how people like made it work. I just thought they were getting paid enough to do this. Like even headliners, I was just like, oh, the headliner is making tons of money, I'm sure. And then I grow up and I was talking to one of the bartenders and then maybe like four or five years ago. And he was telling me like a lot of the, some of the comics that are coming through the city were like veterans. So they had like pensions and stuff. And I was like, oh, they're living, they have pensions and they're not really using this comedy money to like, I mean, it's extra but they have something else too. And I was like, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that that's what yeah, people the, were doing. The comedy money is, is making up for what they're spending out of their pension. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of the first times I did a guest spot at a funny bone, the headliner, he was just like a Sunday headliner. Like he was very, very good, but it wasn't his full-time job. He got done with the set and he said, said, yeah, uh, tomorrow I have to go work at Dick's. And I'm like, that sucks. Like, Dick's <laughs> job. but like, you know, like you're, you just headlined a club in Syracuse. Now you have to fly back to Cleveland and work a part-time job at Dick's. Like, that's just so unromantic. I mean, you got all these punk records behind you. I could see, this is on zoom. You yeah. probably can't see this, hear this on audio, but I can see it right now. I really like the get up kids. You ever listen to the get up kids? Love the get up kids. And like, I used to hear stories about them, even like Jim Suptek, uh, the other singer, he's working at like a home Depot 
half the yeah. time and he's in the get up kids like a legendary like emo punk band i don't know and it's yeah. just like i'm not even at that level it's like i don't even know why i thought this was one of my favorite bands is piebald and piebald's so fucking good and the album is uh right you can't see it it's right off the screen but <laughs> piebald's so good and their lead singer is he's just got a great unique emo indie voice and then he works as a bartender now and like again it's a fine job but you're a lead singer of a band that sold millions of albums. Yeah. Why do you have to bartend? Like, I always thought that, like, if you saw them on TV or heard them on the radio or they were in a movie, they were set for life. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, wow, like fat Mike of no effects. Yeah. He makes some money like a comedian. The producer makes all the money. <laughs> I mean, like he'll distribute it. But that guy is set and and he probably made a ton of his money off of working or, you know, Fat records and doing everything there. So yeah, I just man, it just seems a whole lot more uh glitzy, I guess, uh, before you know the actual finances. Kind of a, a bummer. Yeah, I mean it's all been a big bummer for me this entire time. Not 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 totally. I've had like so many good experiences that I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it is like if I would go back and talk to this, like that 22-year-old kid who just showed up to a mic and was like just so enamored with the headliners. I was so excited that he was just talking to these comics after the show and then just tell him how sad those dudes probably were. That they're, this fucking kid was just like talking their ear off drunk uh, on a Wednesday night. They're just probably like stressed out and tired from the road. <laughs> it's funny because like, I'll look at, you know, any message board or a post on Facebook, like, like, uh, I don't know, any comedian page. And inevitably you'll see somebody saying, Hey, I'm just thinking about doing stand up." Can you give me any advice? Yeah. I would say like at least 30, 40% of the people will say don't. <laughs> and you're like, well, that sucks. But after like five, six years, you're like, it's hard. It's a, it's a lot harder than you think. Like, like my advice that people, when they start is like, take your time. I was like, just yeah. slow down. Because I remember when I started, uh, not that I'm anything special now, but I remember when I started, I was like, well, why, why aren't I getting booked? I should be booked. I've been at every open mic for the last six weeks. And then I'm like, oh, and I, I listened back to those sets. I'm like, oh, that's I should have quit. <laughs> it was bad. I'm available. It's just like, why? It's like being a new comic is like getting on Tinder for the first time. And it's like, why aren't why aren't I getting late? Why aren't why yeah. not me? Why aren't I in a relationship? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's because you're not funny. That's it works both ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you start in Oklahoma? Yeah, I started Oklahoma in Oklahoma City. City. Okay. Uh, yeah, I did, actually. I started in Oklahoma City. That's weird to say. Because most, most of my early stuff was in Norman, Oklahoma. It was like me and my college friends just running this mic for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And for it turned into years and years and years. But my first set was actually in Oklahoma City at the one club that we had at the time, which is the Looney Bin. Do you remember your first set? Like, how did that go? Uh, I do remember my first set. It was, uh, I did, we get, you get four minutes. Uh, you get to lie it at three three thirty. I think I did two minutes, and I did like seven jokes in two minutes. So I was like talking really fast. And uh, I think when I got off stage, I said, "Thank you, I'm sorry." And then uh, I like <laughs> just try to get, try to run off stage. And then who this guy who ended up being like a really good friend of mine in the future kind of bulldozed me on the way up because he was super nervous too, and he. I thought he was a veteran. He was like doing, he had been doing comedy for like maybe six months or maybe like three months. And uh, he was giving me advice in the lobby while I was like pretty close to like what I consider blackout drunk these days. I was like sloppy. I was a little bit sloppy. 
and uh, he was just giving me a bunch of advice and he was just like smoking a cigarette and uh, just being like, well, do you know you're funny? <laughs> and just like taking these huge drags. And then uh, I got nervous and I fucked up and then he got on stage, didn't do any better. So I don't even fucking understand why he was giving me advice anyway. Uh, but that's, that was my first set. And uh, yeah, I was with my friend uh, who was, who I just doing, started doing comedy I mean, like six months before me and she was uh, getting like super into it so i was just like super into it do you remember any of those first jokes like you don't have to tell them now but did any of them survive um i don't tell any of them now okay. some of them still get would still get, get laughs i'm sure but there was like an incest joke uh there was like a fairly woke great wall of china joke <laughs> that i was telling <laughs> i don't remember there was what was my big closer Oh man, I don't know. It was just like misdirection jokes. That was right. my shock mis- misdirection jokes, I guess. Yeah, I, you could kind of tell a, a new comedian and like I'll sound elitist here. Like I do the same thing too so, sometimes, but like they've got like three or four topics and like sex is like universal. I mean, it's like it's like loving a, a music song, like a, a music song. Yeah. Like loving a song. Every genre is going to cover love, but like, you know, like country music has trucks, beer, religion, and new comedians have incest they yeah. have race they've got a lot of them have politics and like like and i'm like my advice to anybody who starts out is like don't do that yet like yeah maybe, maybe you'll get there eventually but not yet in this climate i'm just like when i see that now i'm just like even the people i hate right now i love like i, I just want everybody to have a good night when i want them on stage now and i see the people try to do this like anti-woke shit or like even like sometimes aggressively woke shit i'm just like Man, can we, we got, we got as a people just like be able to talk to each other and, and like, or not even just chill for a second. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. And I host so many shows and I host two open mics and uh, I produce a lot of shows and I host a lot of, or most of them. And I try to stay so far away from politics just because, well, one, I don't think I'm very good at it. So yeah. why try? And two, I don't want to split the room before the opener goes up. I mean, like, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I'm like, just just let me tell jokes about myself and my girlfriend or ex girlfriend making fun of me, and you know, my parents not loving me. Like, I'll do stuff, <laughs> self deprecating stuff that people get, and I'll, I'll talk about how I got uh, nosy neighbors, and like, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to bring anybody down a well. <laughs> like, you know, we just we just read the story about the view. And we were really trying to get away from that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. my advice to everybody is like, just tell stuff about you and get us to know you and fall in love with you. Like, yeah, like, like before you, we got a comedian up here who's just all he's trying to do is shock stuff. And it's like, like uh, he, he needs to say midget and uh, black whore and everything. It's like, yeah. well, there's no, there's no punchline. One, that's a problem. Uh, but yeah. two, it's like, you're just trying to get a rise and that's, in my opinion, that's, that's, I don't know, write a blog, you know, like, I like, <laughs> there's like these, like, I, I like, I'm a journalism major. I like, this is what my degree was it in college. So I love, I love the first amendment. And then people like take that as like, you know, <laughs> it's like they, if they went from like, I have the right to own a gun to, I had the right to shoot somebody for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was a journalist for like 12 years. So like, I was a uh, broadcast and journalism for mass communication. That's right. You're a sports reporter. Yep. And I was a speech writer. So, or a uh, speech writer. Uh, I, speech was my minor. I wasn't a speech writer. I, I wrote some <laughs> of my speeches, but nobody was paying me to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of First Amendment, but it's like, 
don't be an idiot with it. Like that's, yeah. that's how you lose it. <laughs> it's the same with like my dad is a, uh, is a big uh, uh, gun guy, but he's like, yeah, but like, I think everybody should be registering their guns because like the intent shouldn't be to kill people with them. Like, like yeah, you be embarrassed about it. But yeah, I, I just, it bothers me. Like when, when somebody like that goes up to a mic and I always look at it like, well, you could cost the room. Like what you say could, we could lose the open mic, you know, if you yeah. aren't careful with it and yeah, you could say whatever you want, but that business can also be like, yeah, not in here though. Yeah. I just don't understand what, like after a point, I'm just like, there used to be this poetry mic in Oklahoma city. I think it's still around. It's called red dirt poetry. And they're just really nice people for the most part. But that being said, they're poets and they're not comics. Right. And they, they don't they don't have the same kind of mentality as us. But I kind of appreciate their viewpoint because they're still they, if you go to a comedy, do comedy at a poetry mic, you should just try to entertain. Right. You're not trying to, like, make people feel bad who are like or already overly sensitive anyway. And these comics would come and they always the host of the open mic would always say, hey. You can say anything you want here, but it's not a consequence free room. Like you might, we might like ban you for a week or whatever, but we'll let you say whatever. Yeah. And that was, that was their thing. And uh, after a while, these comics, it was just a contingent of comics who never cared if they ever got a laugh and they would just go on stage and just aggressively be offensive just to be offensive. And it would just like, no, I don't even understand what, who was enjoying that. It's like, are you enjoying people not enjoying this like i don't know it's like what what is this now i don't even understand well i see that with a lot with like and i was there too but i see that a lot with new comedians just because they made a sound doesn't mean they laughed or enjoyed it. like like you got a reaction awesome but as at a certain point you've got to turn that reaction into a laugh and if you're not working toward that I don't know what the hell you're doing. You're kind of just wasting yeah. time. I don't I just don't know what people's motivation is for doing this sometimes is like I get like not everybody has to be super successful or super super like rich, but what are you putting out into the world that's like coming like what you know what I mean? Like just like I feel like if you're a com if you uh, want to be a comedian at heart, you want to put some good energy into the world, good energy into the people who are watching you. Obviously, self-expression is part of it too, but it's like if those things don't meet, I, I just like I kind of don't understand why this is your thing. Why why aren't you doing something else? Like, you know, like why is this your your passion? Yeah. Like for me, I just want people to laugh. Like that's it. I am not going into a room thinking that, Oh, they're going to remember me for what I'm saying. Like they're going to, they're definitely going to take this. I'm going to, I'm going to teach people something. I'm going to change the way they think. No, you know, like I've got jokes about Walmart and, and putting my balls in soup. Like they're not like if anybody walks away thinking they learned something other than we should not invite this guy over for dinner, they're they're, they're just not doing it right. So, I'm, I I've been guilty of I'm I think I'm a little bit of a pretentious guy, so I've been guilty of like thinking like my work is so important and what I say is so important. But then if I look back on those sets, it's like what the fuck am I saying? I'm just telling like dumb dumb James gets drunk stories. Um, <laughs> James strikes out a romance stories. I don't know. Just bullshit. But I think those stories are really funny. Like, <laughs> like I, I think they're incredibly relatable. Like I have jokes about how, man, it's been years, but I have stories about uh, how I, I would go up to women in clubs, like, like packs of women, because I thought like, Hey, the odds are better. And, <laughs> and like, I would just, I think one of the lines I said was, uh, uh, man, yeah, I think it was, it was, there were like Boy Meets World, Saved by the Bell lines, where I'm like, who's your favorite character on Saved by the Bell? 
And then one woman would walk away immediately. And then like the other two were there and like looking at each other for help. And then one would <laughs> excuse herself to the bathroom and the other one was screwed. And then she says, I'm going to go look for my friend. And it wasn't like, oh, I have to go somewhere else. It's like, I'm going to go away from you. <laughs> those are the stories I really enjoy hearing from people because I'm like, oh, yeah, you were in my boat, too. Yeah. I mean, I got, I'm right for those. I'm like the most awkward dude when it comes to that stuff. And like, I think I'm still a little bit disarming, too. So I'm just like, well, here's all this shit that everybody kind of relates to. And I don't know. Everybody can just feel bad through me <laughs> i don't know <laughs> feel better <laughs> when did you start doing comedy uh when i was 23 and that was in 2007 i'm oh, wow. 38 now hey i'm i'm 39 so or hell yeah no i'm actually not i'm i'm 39 in two days so yikes that counts. You, heard, you heard it first <laughs> like I, in like three days i'm gonna say i'm 40 so it's gonna be very weird um oh geez what was the scene like when you started the, the scene, when I started, we had one comedy club and uh, just a handful of dudes. It was all dudes. Maybe one, yeah, a couple, two older ladies would do it. And then just like older, older dudes would do this mic. Like that was it. That was the entire scene. And then my friend, uh, Leah, wanted to do more comedy. And she was in this like humor writing class at OU. And all those guys at that class wanted to start doing stand up too. So they all just kind of clopped together and started a new mic and Norman that kind of kicked off a lot of things to be honest. Cause at the time in Oklahoma city, you can only go up once every two weeks. So oh, like, wow. that's like extent that nobody ever thought, unless I'm just like blind to every, anything that was happening at that time, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. Cause I was pretty plugged in or like we were trying really hard at the time. So <laughs> everybody just accepted the fact that you could only go up once every two weeks and just thought that was enough. Uh, so it was a revolutionary thing to, for us to start this mic where it was a weekly mic. And then <laughs> you could go up one to two times a week, you know, because you could do the Looney Bin and then you could do this bar mic. And then yeah. I think you start to see it in the comedy contest because the Looney Bin would do this comedy contest every year. And then the people would make it to the finals or the people who were doing mics every week. And the people who just like kept doing once every two weeks were like, what the fuck? Who are these guys? And like, <laughs> it was the strangest thing. The other people who were twice as hard. Yeah, it was so dumb. And it was like what people describe 80s comedy. It was like what Norman was at the time because it was like such a new thing in 2007 for there to be like this weekly comedy mic. And it was like undeserved attention. Like we were packing out this room. It was like, 90 people just like out the building listening to the comedy up on the speakers and they were just selling all kinds of drinks and we we're doing these shows there was no time limit on the mic so like nine to 20 people would sign up every week and we we're getting a lot of new comics because they were people it was coming popular and it was trendy and uh we had like these three hour open mic shows that people were into enough to stick around and wow people were doing like these like like my friend Derek clouded me over who was a new comic at the time. He was doing like these 20 minute sets at this open mic. Cause there was no light. Everybody was just like doing whatever. And we were offensive too. And sometimes we weren't So like, we were getting better. So like, I kind of just accept that as part of our growing pains. Cause everybody else did like we're we had a really good time starting right. out. But I, you know, going back to that, I think you have to let people just go a little bit and figure that out for themselves. Like I have a really hard time telling people, like just walking up to them and say, yeah, you shouldn't do that because nobody did that to me and maybe they should have, but I'm like, well, I have enough faith in people that they'll figure it out. Yeah. You know? 
and maybe they won't, but I don't know. If, if, I always think that if they don't figure it out, they'll just work themselves out of the scene. So yeah, I'm I'm really sparing with my notes. Like you gotta, we gotta. I don't know. I either have to like super care about you, or I gotta be like really drunk, or <laughs> I just like. You know what I mean? If yeah. you're an asshole and you're just doing stupid shit that I don't like, and I just don't care if you ever progress, I'm never gonna say anything to yep. you. Me too. <laughs> and I host the mic, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I laugh at a lot of things that I don't think are funny. But <laughs> I laugh because I'm like, hey, I'm nice guy, and I want the momentum to go, and I want. I figure if I laugh, maybe somebody else will laugh, and they'll feel more comfortable, and yeah. it's more inviting and a welcoming room. But yeah, I'm. I'm rarely going to go up to somebody and say, hey, love that joke and mean it, you know? Yeah. I think I walked up to a dude last night. I opened mic, and he was brand new. And I did laugh at his jokes. I just, they weren't great, but he, he had a good energy. I said, good set. And then I thought about the jokes that he was telling. I was like, some of those were like really bad jokes. <laughs> like, I don't know if I should encourage him so much. But like, he like was super excited that I came up to him. And like, you know, that when somebody compliments you, you're so fucking nervous. It just feels so nice just to have some kind of just like affirmation. I don't know. Just somebody like just give you a compliment. It feels really good. So yes. I just sometimes I think that's good for people. It's good for me. I don't oh, know. yeah. I, I mean, I had a, a new joke last week where I was like, well, I have no faith in this. And I went on stage and I'm like, and it went well. And I'm like, oh, okay. That was a complete surprise. Like, I'm very happy. <laughs> and somebody came over and said, oh, I love that set. I'm like, all right. Because that was a shock. <laughs> so, you know, it always, it always feels good. Yeah. So what, what's the scene like now? I mean, it, I, I assume you have a weekly mic at least over there. Yeah. Um, okay. So COVID's changed a lot. Cause I'm, I'm just coming back into the scene after like kind of being doing virtual shows and like popping in periodically for the last two years, but I haven't really been consistent for the last two years. And it, it's kind of, I feel kind of weird because I don't know for the last, like, let's say when I first started being a professional MC at the Looney bin and like getting gigs at bars and getting things, I started making like maybe a thousand dollars a year <laughs> doing comedy. Oh, wow. Okay. Cause I would get like a week and I'd make like $1,500 and I would make $150 for that working all those shows for that week. And there's a lot of work just to make $150 for the week, but they'd book me like four times a year. And then I'd like do a bar, a couple of bar shows or like I win a stupid bar contest or something. And it would always be somewhere around like 800, 800 to a thousand dollars a year for the whole year. And that it was like that for like 10 or 12 years. And I was like, it was a lot of work to make that money, but I was like, I felt like legit as a comic for a while. And then 2019 or 2020 happened and I made like $2,000 in the first two months. And I was like, I think I'm turning as a comic, like, I opened up for like Damon Wayans Jr. at the new club and they were bringing in new comics and uh, I dispensaries are a thing in Oklahoma and they have a lot of money. And I got booked like, I made like $300 doing like a private cannabis tasting, like two sets there. And oh, I was wow. like, this is crazy. And I got, I got like a couple of records and this, this is buddy kind of disappeared, but like randomly on like Pandora, my record would have like 30,000 month listeners one month or like two months in a row. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, I think I'm a comic right now. And then COVID happened and oh, then like no. all my shit got canceled. And then like, I came back and like none of the clubs, like, I think I pissed people off. Like I was talking shit about, I was like self-righteous. So I was like talking shit about people still doing shows and like, I probably should have done that. But I was like, honestly, I felt a little bit left out too. Like I, I didn't think I should be doing shows and I felt left out that people were still doing them, but like, I can't really control what people do. And I, it was really immature on my part. So I came back. And a lot of the mics are gone and like, I'm just starting over again. It feels like I'm starting over brand new. 
Yeah, I, I know I know how you mean. Uh, I mean, not exactly. I, I've never had 30,000 people listen to anything I've done. <laughs> Congrats on that, by the way. I don't I don't know how that happened. I think it's gone now. It's a fluke. <laughs> Maybe somebody fell asleep while playing Pandora <laughs> and they just forgot to turn it off. <laughs> but no, I, I think for up in Binghamton, New York, like we had to restart everything. So yeah. we were able to do a lot of virtual stuff. And then I ran a, a weekly mic outside and then we moved inside and then in April of 2021, New York got the go ahead. Uh, they're like, yeah, you can go go and do comedy again. Well, they, they didn't really say you can go and do comedy, Mike. But, you know, the some restrictions lifted. So since then, we had to pretty much rebuild. And it's, you know, we're what 10 months after that. Like, it's still, you know, not everything has come back. And some of the scenes up in upstate New York just still don't have an open mic. And I don't know if they'll ever have one. Like, I mean, I assume they will, but it's very strange to see like a, a place like Syracuse not have a weekly open mic. Yeah. Whereas it used to have two. We 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 still have we have two clubs now, and they're kind of like different. Uh, I think that one of them is like they're bringing in like bigger names, so like a lot of the comics that like, used to go to the Looney Bit are going to Bricktown now. So we have those two club mics, and they kind of compete against each other. And then we still have Othello's, but I'm like old, and I can't really. Like those are late shows. We started that show late and they run, they used to run really late and I just can't, I can make that drive, but I'm just like, I, I just got a new professional job. And I'm like, yeah. I finally feel like mentally and physically like kind of good. Like that's weird to say, like I've done less comedy and I feel like I'm healthier and it's like stupid, but I'm, I'm trying to find a balance these days. So I'm like, uh, I don't know. This is a tangent, but yeah, I don't know. We got a couple of mics now. I think I don't go to all of them. I'm starting to go out. I want to go out at least once or twice a week and like see if that like scratches my itch. And then um, a couple of breweries hit me up and I got like um, a new show that's about to happen and they're paying me out and I get to pay all the comics. They're a pretty decent amount for a show and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm just, I don't know what my aspirations are anymore. Where's the show? Uh, the new ones at Vanessa House Brewery. Uh, my friends run it. We, I just booked the first one today and they're like, what day you want? And <laughs> this is how I've changed as a comic. Cause if you asked me that 15 years ago, I would say Monday or Tuesday. Cause nobody wants to No, nobody on a Friday night wants to see me. Yep. And I always pick the shitty nights, but I'm just like, Hey, I've been doing it for this for 15 years. I know what I'm doing. You pay me this Friday night show. I'll promote the fuck out of it. We'll make it a good show. So we, I got a new Friday night show at Vanessa house brewery. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how like you learn how to sell yourself as you go. Like I run a bunch of rooms up here and I'm lucky now. I'm lucky, but I work for it. But I'm filling out my calendar with like monthly shows. Yeah. So, like, I'll I'll book all over New York and you know, like like uh I'm like, okay, well, all of my Fridays are now booked. So then I move over to Thursdays or Saturdays or Wednesdays. And at a certain point you can't pick the prime night. The one night I don't want to do right now is Sunday or, or Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. Even a Monday, I think, like, we have an open mic I run on Monday, and that's a pretty good turnout. But you have to build. I feel like for an open mic, you have to put in so much more time to yeah. building the atmosphere than you would if you just picked out a show or a lineup and said, okay, we're at a nice brewing company. Yeah. And, like, with a built-in audience. I wouldn't want to start a mic at this juncture. Like I was, that would, sounds like a nightmare to me. Like, I don't want to run a mic anymore. It's, you know what? It's I'm lucky right now. I've been hosting an open mic for six years and everybody else in the area has like the age out of it after like a year. And I, I get it completely. 
because it it's not fun. But every once in a while, and Binghamton's in a, in a good place right now where we have a young crop of inexperienced comedians who have potential and they're getting along with each other. So oh, yeah. now, now I'm a little bit more energized. Like, like when I covered high school sports, I felt young because it's like the days and confused line. Like, I mean, the kids are staying the same age. They change, but I was always dealing with 14 to 18 year olds. So even at 30, I felt like I was 26 and yeah. they kept me feeling young. That's kind of what's happening now. Will that last for two more years? Who knows? Probably not. But yeah, I just keep hoping a new a new influx of talent comes in. I don't even like I, I'm like so detached from the scene right now. And like I think it's been healthy for me because I was so invested in it for so long. But I've seen so many of my friends like get good and move and get good and move. And it's just like, I don't know if I could just take another generation of just dealing with like a bunch of bullshit comics and waiting for good comics to come and get excited again and lose them again. I just like. I, I, I just got to focus on myself, I think, at this point. <laughs> well, have you always wanted to stay in Oklahoma City or that area? I did for a long time. I do again, but there was a period of time where I wanted to move to... Sometimes I think about moving to New York now, but I moved to LA for briefly for a little bit. That was my, my big move for a little bit. And it was good. I had I had a monthly show. I was running a mic at a hotel, met a lot of people, had a lot of good sets. It was just like a really tough city. And then, I don't know, I'm so comfortable here now. And uh, I don't know, I think I'm like just grandfathered into all this bullshit. And I think I'm just a fixture at this point here. Well, you also drum, right? I, I do drum. Yeah. I saw like a, like a creep. I looked all through your Facebook page. <laughs> You're drumming for a death cat for cutie cover band. I did previous, uh, just for one show. I was okay. like, so fucking, I got roped into that like three weeks, like left before the show. And I had to like learn all that stuff. And it was like, I'm not the best drummer. So I was just like, man, fuck. I gotta like learn <laughs> all these like stupid parts that are overly complicated for no reason. <laughs> so I love Death Cab for Cutie. I don't know him super, super well, but I've listened to, oh man, Narrow Stairs a lot. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the names of the albums. Uh, fuck, that's the, only one, that's the only one. We did Transatlanticism all the way through. That was that's a lot. That's one. And, but I didn't, I never paid attention to how complicated the drumming parts are. Are they really that hard? Some of them, they're, the drummer's really weird because like some of them sound really simple, but they're really complicated. And some of them sound really complicated, but they're really simple. And I just like was getting so annoyed. And honestly, my, my experience with drumming, I've been in the same band for like 15 years. So like, I just know how to play the songs I know how to play for the <laughs> most part. So like eh, me having to learn anything was like so annoying. And my friend was a singer. He was the guy I worked with at this guitar pedal company. And uh, he was a lot younger than me. He's like 24, maybe 20. And I'm 38. And he, he was like, wanted to do the show. And he got my brother to do it. And he's like leading the band. And I'm just like, man, I'm so old. And I don't want to be learning these parts. And I'm like struggling to learn these parts in front of this kid. And like, it's, I'm so fucking annoyed right now. <laughs> it was so strange. Cause like uh, the show, like the practice, we practiced that Friday and we were sounding better. We had like five practices and we were finally starting to sound better, but we still hadn't played Sound of the Settling. Not Sound of yeah. Settling. Yeah, that song sounded fucked up for some reason, even though it's simple. And uh, this is the new year. I was struggling so hard with that. And we still hadn't played either of those songs like all the way through good, like on the last practice, but we were sounding better. And we got to the show and we we're just like, fuck it. And I was nervous because like, sound like this is the new year's like kicks off the record. Yeah. And that song sucks. It just sets the crowd up in a bad place and uh i don't know we just played perfect that night it was so fucked up i think we got away with it nobody fucked up at all and we played perfect and it was like the stupidest thing and i was like pissed off 
all like three weeks leading up to that show and we just, just killed it and i was just like i'm never doing this again and uh <laughs> i like caleb the singer he was like we gotta do this again and i was like take my cut of the money i'm never, i'm never doing this again <laughs> I'll, I'll buy myself out of this <laughs> I, i'm looking it up now i don't want to look it up but there's a song and i don't know if that's off transatlanticism but something about an interior decorator death of an, death of an interior decorator yeah okay it, it's like track nine or something like that and uh yeah is that hard to play because it's like a isn't that like a triplet beat or something like that like uh, it, it wasn't like i watched the video on how to play it and like that helped a lot i was just like watching it in his hands it's like oh this isn't as hard as i thought it would be and then there's a time change that is kind of hard, but I just kind of guessed that day and we just hit it. Actually, I think I did. I think I might have fucked up that song. That was like the one fuck up that we had, but it wasn't on any of those parts. Like there's like two acoustic songs or something. There's like a break in the record where I don't play anything. So like during the show, I got really cocky and I was like, I'm going to go take a shot. So like my band was just playing. I just had a shot. I was sitting in the, like in the front row and I just took it. Like and people were looking at me just like, what an asshole. And uh, <laughs> I get back on stage and I just I, like the shot hits me immediately and I count us in wrong on the song. And that was like my only fuck up for the whole show. I think. That's what you get. <laughs> my dad, my, both my parents are musicians and they, they're like constant musicians. My dad taught band for 30 plus years. He's a youth symphony conductor. And uh, there's always like a, a little bit of disdain for drummers because <laughs> I don't know that they're, I always thought they were in the back of the band fucking around having fun while everybody else was counting their rests. And uh, so uh, if my dad heard you say, yeah, well, whatever, uh, I, I watched a video and uh, I just guessed right. Like he would, he would lose his shit. Dude. I didn't, I mean, I, I practiced, I practiced my ass off to like, to, like I'm not a good drummer. So like I had to like, I could, and I don't read sheet music really well. So like, I was like looking at the sheet music, but I can program beats on Fruity Loops. So I was like, kind of like, making similar beats on Fruity Loops. I learned those beats that I reprogrammed and it was like the stupidest thing. I was like, all right, this is close enough. And like, I got this friend who's like in the flaming lips now. Do you know the flaming lips? Yeah. I have this like, friend who's in the flaming lips now. Yeah. I got what this a, job. What an this, awesome sentence. Yeah. It was so fucking stupid. Cause he like kept it a secret from me for a while, but he was like, he, he plays bass in there now. And uh, I had this job at this guitar metal company where like we do graphics. It's like a grunt job. It's like not a grunt job. It's a production job. It's like hard yeah. work. And uh, he was training me and then he left and he came back and uh, he was like giving me advice about this Death Cat for Cutie thing because he was like, he had to learn all these Flaming Lips songs in like, I don't know how long, in like a short amount of time. And I had to learn this Flaming, this uh, Death Cat for Cutie set. It's so not as cool, but he would still talk to me like very seriously and give me pointers. And he's like, you just got to get it to a point where you can just make it through the set. Don't like, don't worry about the flourishes. Don't worry about anything. Just like play it just as simple as you can make it through the set. And like, that's the, your first step. And like, I took it to heart and that's the level I got to. And we got, we got through the set and like everybody like was happy that it was a packed out show. Everybody was like super excited. So I, I feel good about it. Uh, <laughs> do you know the band less than Jake? Yeah. yeah. I see yeah. Uh, that vinyl right behind you over your yep. shoulder. Well, they're, they're not, I wish they were all vinyls. They're, they're uh canvas prints. So that's, I, that's even better. Well, yeah, <laughs> It's fine. But their saxophone player, JR, I just listened to a podcast last night. And I guess when he was, he had to replace the original saxophone player. I think it was original. But uh, <laughs> what they did was they gave him the first four albums and said, here, learn these. Like, learn the sax parts. <laughs> and, like, 
no sheet music, nothing. He had to listen to it by ear. And, and they were talking, it was uh, Krista Makes, the lead singer. They're like, yeah, man, like like the Pezcore, that album was so bad. Like, <laughs> just the, the mixing. And they're like, yeah, how are you going to get anything out of that? <laughs> but I'm guessing like, can you just listen to something and figure it out? You like other, some people can. I can't really, really yeah. like. It takes me a lot of time. I can like make something up that will fill that space. I think that's like kind of what I did. Honestly, that's what I think. Tommy, when he started playing bass for the lips, that's what he like kind of did. But like eventually, he just like got better. And like, and other bandmates are there that can give him pointers, and he can like what like one of the the things he told me to do is watch live videos. So like that's actually how I learned how to play death of the interior decorator was because Tommy was just like watching YouTube video and just yeah. look at this Trevor. I don't know. I'm not the greatest, but it's the same with comedy. I just like, like it enough to where I, I think I just project enough energy where people are just like, don't give me enough too much shit about being imperfect, I guess. I don't know. Who's going to be perfect. Yeah. I don't know. A comedy. <laughs> Pat Oswald. Okay, all right. Uh, Kyle can name. Kyle, I think Kyle can right, okay. right, Let's just name all of them. <laughs> no, is there a drummer you watch and and you just think, shit, I'll never be able to do that? Uh, straight up, the dude who works that bar that I played, his name is Chris Van Dyde, and he's the drummer for this Blink-182 cover band called Blink-405. And he like he'll like send me rudiments she's to practice, but I'll never be as good as Chris. Like It's like so fucking stupid how good he is. If Travis Barker were somehow incapacitated, could he fill in? He could. Yeah, he definitely could. He would get tired, though, because they play these 40-minute blink sets at the speak, and he looks like gas. Like, he doesn't he care. He couldn't play, like, a three-hour blink set or something. I don't know how long blink plays. Uh, about hour and a half. I don't think Chris could. I think he would get fucking really tired. He would have seen- to quit smoking or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Blink. Man, I think I've seen them six times or seven times. They were the first concert I saw. I saw Body Jar, Newfound Glory, and Blink-182 in, it was like July 31st, 2001. And that was your first show? First show, yeah. Damn, that's a nice show. Yeah, I mean, it it aged really well because (laughs) Newfound Glory is still doing something. And Body Jar is a really fun punk band out of Australia. So, uh, but I didn't, I don't think at the time, Newfound Glory was, they weren't that big. They were on drive-thru. And I think it was just a new, uh, the self-titled album was out. Or nothing gold can stay, and then the self-titled, I think. But that was it. So hit or miss was big, but it didn't blow up yet. <laughs> and then uh, when I'm in college, like two, three years later, my friends over you came out, and we're like, "Oh shit, this band is huge." Uh, but no, it was a good one. But I've seen Blink. I saw them with Skiba, and they. Yeah, did I don't even. I don't even acknowledge that. Yeah, I know he's doing his best. And I love Matt Skiba. I just, I don't think that's the same band. (laughs) No, no. And and I love Alkaline Trio. I think the worst part about Skiba joining Blink-182 is that, I don't know how you are, but like, I was like, oh no, is that the end of Alkaline Trio? Yeah. Like, like I would much, I think I like Blink-182 more than Trio, but I want new trio music more than I want new blink music. Yeah. I don't, I don't even listen to those blink records unless Chris is playing in that band. Like I like lose my shit at, at those shows, but like I self-titled, I still like, I think self-titled is a really great record. Yeah. But like it aged really well. And I didn't, I hated it when it came out, but like, I don't really like revisit like enema of the state and just like have like a night with it or anything. You know, I, I love that album, but it, it's not, you've got the singles and I actually thought the like, a track like Dumpweed yeah. was, was better or Mutt 
they were better songs than like all the small things. Yeah. And it, it kind of like, it, maybe that's just like the punk rock in me was like jaded that, oh, that's on MTV and, you know, on the on TRL. I, I rewatched that all the small things video and they make fun of those boy bands. But then when I, wa- as I was watching it as a 30 year old man, I was like, these guys are kind of handsome. Like they are a boy band. Yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, the ugly guy in the group is Travis Barker. He's <laughs> ugly because he has tattoos. Like, like, I mean, he's, he's ripped. Like, I mean, I mean, skinny ripped, but like, yeah, it, like they are boy band cute. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't that far off. Uh, but no, they, they do put on a great live show. The problem with Blink, though, is if you've seen them once, you're good because yeah. Travis Barker is incredible. They're all very good musicians, but you're basically seeing the same live show for years. You yeah. Know, like, like a band like Green Day, I haven't seen them in a few years, but like a band like Green Day, at least through, you know, they had songs from every album out there. And yeah. If they had the newer stuff, maybe that sucks. But like, like you were getting something... One of the encores I saw from Green Day in like I'm gonna say 2009, 2010 was uh, off. Uh, it was Christy Road off their first album. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I will pay any amount of money to see you play the fourth track off your first CD. <laughs> I think I, I saw him after American Idiot came out. I don't know what year it was, but it was like a, like one of my first arena rock shows. And I don't really prefer arena rock shows, but I was like, this is a fucking great show. Like. They had like water guns and shit and they're pulling people from the crowd and they're yeah. just like playing this like a badass, you know, like a catalog set, but it's like, they got so many hits. It's whatever. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I, that was probably 2004, 2005. They saw them. I saw them in both of those years. So it was just like, uh, I was in college and uh, yeah, girlfriend, I, I bought, I, I was the guy who bought like tickets for the group and then yeah. people would pay me back or bail on the show and I'd be stuck with the money or the extra ticket. But, yeah, we saw them in Rochester, New York, and I saw them again in Binghamton. So it was like yeah. one in October, one in April. And man, they were they were great. They're a really, really good live band. But yeah, you're right. The regular set is hit after hit after hit after hit. But at the time, they'd been a band for 17 years. So like they have that catalog. And, yeah. You know, but I think that's why their shows have to be like two hours long anymore because they've added like, Jesus of Suburbia and uh, <laughs> other long songs to it. I mean, I saw uh, Homecoming was in an encore, and that's a that's a ten minute song. So I'm like, okay, your your one encore is going to be eighteen minutes, and then you have a second encore. <laughs> that's crazy. I don't know their new stuff. Past Past American Idiot, I kind of kind of get bounced. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, I don't own the other one. I I think maybe the last CD I bought in total was Revolution Radio by green day and like their newer stuff eh, whatever do you like pup do you like pup at all that's like yeah i don't know them super well but yeah pup is really good yeah i'm starting to like find new bands i'm just like i don't know man like a lot of the bands i used to like they're either broken up or like somebody got me too or like i don't know or they're just like not making good music or both all those things yeah. like. <laughs> uh, my favorite band for god probably the last 15 years is the wonder years yeah and I always think they could have gone toe to toe with like bands on the drive through labels. Like you put them there, they would have fit in really, really well. But I, I just think Dan Campbell and Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties, like he is a very, very good writer. And uh, I just saw them for the first time a few months ago and they're great. But no, uh, I got I started listening to pop around the same time as AJJ. And uh, I got into like this, this folk punk yeah. uh, just phase. And 
like my buddy makes fun of me for listening to days and days. And I'm like, they're good. And <laughs> they just, I don't want to be next to them. If you've, have you ever heard of them? Uh, all right. You should Google or Google. You should put days and days into YouTube and it's misanthropic drunken loser. It's a great song. I really love it, but watch the video. You can smell them through the video. <laughs> it's awful. They look awful and they're just mulleted and old shirts and they're buying like a, a 30 pack of beast. And it's like, Oh, like you wouldn't want to hang out with them at all, but I think they're good musicians. I think I, I don't know what happened to me. I mean, I'm starting to like listen to different stuff now, but I had a period maybe like five years ago where I was get, catching all like that fourth wave emo or whatever, like yeah. modern baseball or whatever. Yep. And I was like, how, why do I like this so much? And it's like, these are fucking kids. Like, why do I like this record from these kids? Like, yeah. they're, they're fucking great. I don't know. <laughs> I saw Modern Baseball open for the Front Bottoms and Brand New. Front Bottoms are great. Yeah, they're very <laughs> good writers. And uh, yeah, Brand New uh, was, I think, I think they toured after that, but it was supposed to be the last tour. And uh, everything came out with Jesse Lacey. So I don't think they're doing anything anymore anyway. But yeah, yeah, that was one of the bands that, goodbye. When I say that, I specifically mean Saves the Day because I love Saves the Day. Oh. And like Chris Connolly just got me too. And I was just like, all right, well, at least he didn't like, I'm like trying to like rationalize it in my brain. Like he's like, okay, he didn't like, he just was just like verbally abusive. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. But I'm you're, just, rationalized, like, oh. you're rationalizing the little shred of hope you had for your childhood. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, well, the records that I like, they had the other guys on it too, so maybe I could still like those records. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Saves the Day three times, and they were great the first two times, and then boring the third time. Yeah, and I think they had a lineup change where Chris had to play guitar, and like he at the time at least he wasn't able to move around, and so he went from this like dynamic frontman to the stationary guy, and it like I was like, wow, that's that's how much power a front man has you saw him at like their rise then because it was like yeah that was probably like through being cool to stay what you are to reverie yeah that was yeah. exactly what you saw they that's crazy they opened for taking back sunday and no okay money it went moaning saves the day taking back sunday i think um maybe saves the day close that one actually but yeah I, I saw him three times the first one i don't know they might have opened for green day and blink yeah I think, and, and that's the case. It was 2002. I think I've seen them like four times and they headlined every show, but it was like after they're, they're, they were making their comebacks. So like the first time I saw them, it was right before Sound of, Sound of the Alarm. Do you remember the record? Yeah. It was right before that record came out. And I don't think they even played anything from that record the first time I saw them. And that was a fucking great show. The second time I saw them, the record was just starting to come out and they played some songs. It was a fucking great show. And then I think the third time I was like, this wasn't maybe not as good. And then by the fourth time I was like, this it was a this is a bad show. <laughs> <laughs> is there a if you could hmm, if you could be the drummer of any band, who would it be? Um my band, of course. Like of I course, just, yeah. <laughs> um I I don't think I could be the drummer for any other other band than my band. I don't know. That that's very true. Like I, I think I have a very specific kind of sound and it's like kind of amateurish, but it's like polished in spots and just it's a weird vibe. So I don't, I don't really think I could just fit in anywhere. What's the name of their band? Uh, it's the Nims, me and my brother. It's more than me and my brother, but that's like our, the first show we played was at this indie club in, uh, called Opolis in Norman. And we didn't have a band name at that point. And we gave them the owner 
our bad name. He didn't like it, so he just put the Nims on the poster. So we just been the Nims for 15 years. <laughs> That's just like a classic, like how we got your our name story. Like, like a, it's like a, it's like the Oneaters. Like, no, nobody understands that. It's the Wonders. Oh, all right, like just, here, it, here we're saddled with this, and hey, it works. It fits. Do you know, do you know the band Broncho at all? I know the name. Um, the lead singer, he used to do a solo indie pop act and we opened for him our first show. His name is Ryan, uh, Lindsay. He's a great dude. And, um, yeah, that's how we started with the ride. I got all these weird origin stories. I got like a lot of almost famous stories. Like, like, I don't know if I'm pretentious, but I feel like people should care about me more than they do. (laughs) (laughs) I think that all the time, but it's usually directed at my parents. (laughs) So I I made up with them. I let that go. Have you been to this? I've never been to therapy, but my friend went to therapy and like, he gave me a lot of good advice. So I like, I've grown up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, have you been in the same band? Like this, you've been in this band for 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been in one other band when I was in high school uh, with my friends and I played bass, which I don't know how to do. And uh, so I was just kind of just holding a bass for like six months in this high school band. And uh, I started, yeah, I played drums for my brother and uh, I've honestly got a lot like I've grown a lot as a drummer just from being in this band. Like I wasn't a good drummer. Like I learned from a videotape and then my brother had this show. So I had to like learn enough to like get through the show with him. And then it just progressed to where like we're in one of the nicest studios in Norman. Cause this guy just had an opportunity to record a band and he needed a band to record at, at record. And he saw us at that first show with Ryan. And then now I'm just like, just weird, weird things have happened over the course of those 15 years, like almost famous opportunities, but it's so st- stupid. is there any similarity to drumming and doing stand-up like being in a band and because you're a little bit in the background when you drum yeah i i like being the freedom of comedy like i don't like organizing a band and uh and making sure everybody shows up to practice and it loads gear and like all that stuff it's all it's a lot of work that's that comedians don't have to deal with like comedian is total like no fucking teamwork let's just i get like i can show up and be offensive or like ruin a show and I don't, it's like, there's no, there's not the no ramifications, but it's not the same as like, I get drunk and I play every song 40 BPM faster than they're supposed to be. And everybody's mad at me. Like, like that happens. Like all our songs are really slow and chill. And every now and then I'll get like super fucked up and just like play them like stupid fast. So like, and not good. They're not punk songs. They just like, they're slow songs, just like jittery, jittery fast. It's like, we got Keith Moon back here. What's <laughs> I always wanted to play drums and my, my dad would not let me like we could sign up to do band in fourth grade. And I wanted to play the drums and he, my dad's a trumpet player. So it's like, no, you got to play the trumpet. I didn't know and, if it was like a noise thing or is that re- drum resentment thing that you were saying earlier in the podcast? I think it's both. Hates drummers. I think it's both. <laughs> and no, it wasn't like, okay, well we have to get Mike a set, but no, he's just like, no, don't do it. And we were, and I was kicking and screaming the whole time. But like, yeah, fifth grade comes around and uh, I want to play drums. No, can't do it. Sixth grade. No, can't do it. And I just quit. So we were, uh, I always got to school early because uh, I think when I was in ninth or 10th grade, my dad drove me to school. So I was there like, you know, 645 and hanging out in this band room. Like, I'm like, I got nothing else to do. Nobody else is open. And they got a drum set. So inevitably I would walk myself down there and try to play the drums. And after school, I would go down there, try to play the drums. My dad, he just knew to he knew who it was he would come out of his office and go mike off the drums like ah <laughs> i'm like give me a one goddamn lesson 
like <laughs> one. And now I don't play trumpet. I don't play tuba. I don't play trombone, uh, euphonium, baritone. I don't play any of those, but I will drum all day. Yeah. Uh, 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 driving, you know, I'm in the kitchen. I'm, I'm waiting for something. I'm drumming. Like that is what I should have been doing. I bet you would have been a bad at like, I don't know. I always like wanted to draw as a kid. My parents always fought me against it. And I always think, why did you fight? You should encourage your kids to do the thing that they're interested in. Cause I'll probably get really good at it. Like, honestly. <laughs> yeah. My dad, when they wanted me desperately to, to go into music education and continue playing in college. And, and I was a very good tuba player uh, because like I had braces, so I couldn't play trumpet. It just, it just got worse. And so they, they said, okay, well, give them the bigger mouthpiece. And when I was a freshman, we needed a tuba player. So I was like, all right, I'll play tuba. And I actually got good at it and like, like state level good. And they wanted me so badly to, to keep playing. And they're like, well, Mike, what do you want for graduation? And I said, the only thing I want is a baseball bat, I want a new metal bat. And at the time in 2001, it was like, you know, $150. My dad and mom, they bought me a, a 30. Yeah, it was a $3,400 tuba. Jesus. Yeah. And like, I was like, I didn't ask for this and I didn't want it. And I knew, but it was their last ditch effort to have Mike go and play band in, in college and maybe change his major. And in hindsight, I would have done pretty well as a music teacher. <laughs> like, like It was it would have been a lot less uh, job insecurity over that. Yeah, journalism. <laughs> yeah, I went to journalism. I'm like, yeah, let me study this and make no money for a lot of years. Yeah. Uh, and then like my first, uh, not my first job, first, uh, uh, full-time job, but like, uh, my big job in, in Annapolis, Maryland, like a year in, they fired 30% of the staff and I made the cut, but I was like, Oh, this wouldn't have happened if I, if I was a high school band director, <laughs> but no, they had the right idea, but I'm like, no, I just, I didn't want to do it. But if, yeah. if they had let me play drums guarantee I'd still be playing drums. Yeah, and you could be a music teacher as a drummer too. Uh, not according to them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so I mean, do you do you feel like uh do you like the limelight on you? Uh, I mean, as a stand-up as opposed to being in, in the band? I think I used to. I don't know what I like anymore. Like I'm like COVID fucking my psyche a little bit yeah. up and I'm like put myself back out together to where I think I'm better than I used to be, but I just like I like a little bit quieter life, but like yeah, I, I don't know. I used to like want to be on social media all the time and be like the guy, like I wanted people, like when people thought about comedy in Oklahoma, they'd be like, Oh, Oklahoma city has a good scene. Cause James is there. Yeah. Uh, but like, I don't really have those. I don't know. I think for one, I think that I sound like an asshole if I thought like that now, but I don't know. I still want to be a good comic. I like right now, all I want to do, I like, I do like putting on good shows. I do like uh, being able to affect people's day. Like I just want to, I want people to have a good time. And I want, people to like not feel so hopeless i like I, I just want people to like hey there's still shows we're gonna get through this stuff everybody take care of each other everybody care about each other um we're gonna make fun of some shit don't take it too serious this is like the best art because it's stupid like that's so don't don't make it into a thing where it's like not stupid <laughs> i don't know that, that makes sense oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> what do you like most about producing producing comedy i love putting together lineups i love shaping a room i love like I don't know, man. I'm reading this Nintendo book right now. My little brother got me this book for my birthday. It's like the guy who came up with the Game Boy. And he's like this nice man named Iwata. He passed away. But all of it is just like, he's talking about how he he likes 
recognizing strengths in others and making something like that he couldn't do by himself or that nobody could, none of the individual parts could have done without each other. And I like, I like comedy shows because they're like kind of just like snowflakes like that. They're like every comedy show is unique and like everybody's coming in with different energies, even for themselves that day. And like what you're about to do together will probably never happen exactly the same way ever again. And I, I love that. And I love that. Uh, I love paying comics. I love seeing broke ass, sad comics happy after they leave my show. Like I love, I love taking care of people, man. I love taking care of the audience. I love taking care of myself. Uh, I love taking care of my friends. I love looking cool in front of girls. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was related to everything you said until then. <laughs> like, oh, no, I think it's so much fun to like, like I produce so much that just paying the comedians is fun. Yeah. And like, cause I don't know. Do you remember how much you made for your first paid show? It was, I think it was like maybe five to $20. I have it some, I, I think I lost it, but like I kept it. I put it in a CD case, but I don't know where that CD case is anymore, but oh. it was like a, a tip show. It was like, we're drove to Stillwater. It was Mike's college bar. And they just passed around the tip jar at the end of the night. And I grabbed like, it, it was maybe five bucks or something. But I got, like, I, I, I think it. I got six. <laughs> and like, uh, it would have been like my second show, I think, because first show I did, I produced myself. So I was able to pay myself, but, but yeah, six bucks. So when I you produce your first show, that's awesome. Oh dude, it was, I should have produced it. I headlined it though. I shouldn't have done that. And <laughs> I got, I got well-intentioned bad advice. Like, uh, it was the, the owner was like, yeah, this is how you do it. Uh, you know, if you have a half an hour or whatever, or 45, he said 45 minutes and I'm like, all right. So I think I was like four or five months in and I did like an hour. So can you can imagine how awesome that was? But one of the things I love most about producing is paying the comedians because like, like typically the low end of my shows is like, like 45 bucks, 50 bucks. That's good. It's not bad. And especially when I think, okay, well, six years ago I made $6. So like, I don't know if it's inflation or work I put in, but like, Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish that guy was around six years ago to see what the scene was like and what they were paying. Yeah. Because, oh my God, they would love me more. <laughs> I always think that where I don't, I don't, I'm not as depressed right now for whatever reason. I'm just happy. <laughs> but when I was depressed, I always used to have this thing where it was like, if you could talk to yourself five years ago, what, what would we think of you, what you're doing now? And it, like inevitably I'd just be like, well, that, that younger version of me would probably think what I was doing was cool. Like, Oh, you got, you got on all these shows. Like you got like a middle spot at a fucking bar. And, uh, five years ago, uh, you probably like were pissing your pants, trying to write four minutes or something. And like, right. you know, oh. <laughs> well, how, how much do you think you've grown? I mean, just, just from that, you know, it back in 2007, I mean, do you think right now you would recognize that guy back then? Um, like comedically or just as yeah, a person comedically no like like i think if that guy saw me he one he would be too drunk to even realize that i was so much better than him <laughs> it's like that's how i was I, like i'd be at the loony bin watching headliners drunk and being like i'm as good as these guys like so i'm so wasted i can't even just tell why what i'm doing wrong and what they're doing right you know like i can't even see it i go i'm like i'm so much better than i was uh in 2007 that he would like wouldn't even understand how i'm doing this or maybe he would be proud. I'd hope he would just be proud and just be like, oh my God, like, what the fuck? He's not stuttering. Uh, <laughs> the material isn't bullshit. Uh, he doesn't sound like a fucking fake Mitch Hedberg or like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's tough too, because like, I remember when I started, I 
and I still do, but I idolize Birbiglia and Dimitri yeah. Martin so much and John Mulaney that like traces of them would you could definitely listen to my set. Like, oh, he, he's a Birbiglia fan. Like he's a Mulaney fan. The way he hits the M in murder. Like, <laughs> like everything like that. And Dimitri Martin, just the cadence. Yeah, like I always think that like Hedberg, if you're a big Hedberg fan, man, is it easy to spot. Yeah. <laughs> Just like weird, like kind of like the cadence for one, and then just kind of like the flow of the jokes, and just like the way you take your jokes, and just like okay, I don't know, just kind of embrace like lean into like I'm the weird guy on stage, yeah. like <laughs> like uh, I'll just get uh, I forgot my sunglasses, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I I just I don't know. Like with me, I think I probably would recognize the guy. I think the attitude would be a lot my attitude now is a little more measured than it was back then. Like I just, I thought I deserved way more than I was getting. Yeah. And I think I'm a little more grounded now in saying that, yeah, well you weren't doing this. Like you didn't go, you only did that one open mic every week. Like yeah. you weren't traveling for other places. You didn't network like you're doing now. Like I didn't yeah. understand back then the game of stand up because like you can be the funniest guy in the world, but if nobody fucking knows you, you're screwed. I don't even, I, th- I think I'm a little bit back to where, like, if we're comparing what, like, our mentality was back then to where I am now, I think I'm just, maybe I'm come full circle a little bit because I had no expectations when I started. I probably just had one and some friends and I, I had a crush, <laughs> I had a crush on a comic and uh, I don't know, just stupid shit. And then somewhere in the middle, I just got really serious. I was just like, why am I doing this? I got a fucking, I think a headliner pissed me off. Like I had like some, somebody pissed me off and I just was really angry for a really long time. And I was like angrily putting my effort into comedy from out of hate. Like I was a hate fucking comedy. Yeah. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm going to get good. So I can like, so everybody can just like fucking suck it. And then like, I think that's not a good way to be or exist. And uh, so like, I'm, I don't know. I'm like kind of, I think I've kind of mellowed. I'm like figuring it out. This is, I think this is the most, the best I've been, even though I haven't been on stage in two months or three months, I still think I'm like a better comic than I was like fucking in 2020, even talking to you right now. I think I hear hate fuck like once or twice a year. <laughs> and I hate fucking comedy. It's maybe the best thing I've ever heard in my life. So <laughs> you guys like this, right? You guys like my fucking anger. Like and sometimes they did. I don't know. So like, so maybe like I just got, negatively I, I got the wrong things were reinforced in me right by uh i don't know <laughs> do you remember the worst set you've ever had um i've had a lot of bad ones i don't know <laughs> like bad how like situation bad or I performed that oh overall like uh any show that went completely the opposite of what you expected <sighs> i've had some like early bad mc sets like just like way too cocky way too like didn't accept criticism and uh, I remember, oh, wait, I always tell this story. Should I tell this story? There's one. Okay. This is so fucking stupid, but all right, I was at the loony bin. I was hosting and I have this joke about DMT. And I say this thing. I just say, I'm from Norman. Cause I lived in Norman, Norman for a really long time. And to me, that just means, and it doesn't mean this anymore, but to me at the time, there's a lot of hippies in Norman. So like they do DMT. So like, yeah. this, is, this is how I preface this joke. It's like, I'm from Norman. I get on, so I get on stage, I'm telling this joke and I preface it. I'm from Norman. I, everybody just starts booing me and I don't realize that it's like, it's OU Texas weekend and half the crowd at the club is from oh, Texas God. and half the crowd's from OU. 
And I don't, I don't realize what's happening. So I'm just getting booed. I'm like, what the fuck? Why am I getting booed? So I just start pointing at people. I'm like, fuck you. No, fuck you. And like, I just like, I'm an asshole. Like I, I've grown up. I ho- I've hoped, I hope I've grown up a lot since then, but like, uh, this is the kind of shit that gets negatively, like has reinforced the wrong thing. So some people liked it, liked it when I liked it when I was like doing shit like this. So I was like pointing at half the crowd. I was like, fuck you, fuck you. And they're like, they're just starting like all kinds of shit. And like the door guys are running around and they have to like split up this like, like, cause half the crowd is OU fans. So they're, they're rooting for me. Like, yeah, fuck these yeah. people. And it's like, start, it's about to start a fight. Like it's got to start this fight. And the crowd's like, these door guys are running around. It's like, James, stop. Like, we gotta, you gotta calm down. And like, I was just like, uh, yeah, I think that might've been <laughs> the worst I've handled anything. <laughs> so like from now on, like from then on, do you look at the football schedule to make sure like, you don't, I don't know. Like it just hasn't, not- it just doesn't, hasn't happened again. I don't know. <laughs> Something else happened. I think like somebody was racist that night too. Cause like uh, somebody called the feature, the N word or something. And then the bouncer kicked her, kicked that dude out. And the bouncer is black. Right. And he was, he was a champ. He was just handling it really calmly talking to the guy, just really calmly. He's like, Hey, you can't, you can't yell at the comics anyway. And it's, it's like, it wasn't even because he, he, he didn't make it about race. He was like, right, you just right. can't yell at the comics. And then like, I was sitting there and some drunk ass, hope like just came out and high five the guy who got kicked out from using the N words. Like, you're cool. And they're like high fived in front of the door guy. And I was just like, this is probably my fault because I got him so riled up. And I just felt like so, so bad about it, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I don't know if that's my worst show, but that was a bad one. <laughs> so you think you're, you're to blame for all racist acts? No, I, think, <laughs> I was I was to blame for bringing it out of people that day for whatever reason. I don't know. <laughs> How'd you get in the loony bin? Was it just a matter of being good around the scene? Um, my friends, like the my friends were all getting MC spots, so like they're getting good. And so I was I think I got like a little bit resentful, like I wasn't getting bumped up. So I started trying harder. And then I would like eventually they just like they just let me do it. I don't know. I don't even I thought I was ready at the time, but I didn't perform well. So they just like, let me go through a lot of growing pains. Oh, that's great that they let you do it. Yeah. It's it's weird. Cause they usually, like, they're known for being like shitty and like never promoting people, which I always say that they, they're really hard on their comics and they don't promote people very fast or at all. Or, and they demote you really fast. Cause I moved up to feature and I had a weird set in Wichita. They were just like, you're too fresh. <laughs> you're getting oh. demoted back to MC. And I was like, are you fucking serious? It took me like 12 years to become a feature. Like <laughs> you got to move me back down. This is so fucking stupid. <laughs> For you, what's the biggest difference between like a bar show and a club show? Um, Let's go with the MC spot. Honestly, if you run your room, right, there shouldn't be that big of a difference. If you, if you want your bar show to feel like a club show, you know, just get the seating, right. Take it seriously. Address the crowd seriously. Cut that. Just like, I mean, it's it's harder for them to do that too, but um, the looseness. I, I I think bar shows are looser. Like I, I enjoy the looseness of a bar show. If I'm being honest, yeah, I like both. I just there's something about a bar show where like I keep all the equipment I need in the trunk of my car. There's something yeah. very punk rock about it where it's like a DIY. Like yeah, I, I all I need is a stool, a speaker, and a mic in the stands, and we'll have the show. And I've got a backdrop that it makes it feel like a more club style show. Yeah. Like, I don't need that club on a weekend to feel like I'm successful. Yeah. So honestly, I like I kind of, I've, 
not that this is true because sometimes it's definitely not, but I like the crowds at bars because they're like, I don't know, there's you can surprise them. The people that come to comedy, sh- like let's say comedy shows in the city, like the Looney Bin specifically, like when it was the only club in town, you get these people from small towns and they drive out, drive up and they're like make a night of it. And they, or they would just want to, it'd be like a weird collaboration of like, like tourists, like essentially tourists. They weren't from the city. I don't know if they appreciated it as much either. They're just like, I, I'm paid for this. So like be funny, but you do a bar show. I don't know, man, those people like you do a bar show where regulars go to the same bar for years and years and you bring something new to them. I think, I think they like it more. Like they're, you can surprise them more and it's, it's nice to bring something into their lives. I do a lot of shows in smaller towns and kind of the same way I approach producing shows in general. Like when you start out, nobody knows you. So you have to go to people. Yeah. Like, like nobody's always going to come to the one bar you perform comedy. So you have to kind of like, okay, well, let me try another bar. Let me try another town. And I find that when you go to the smaller towns, the crowds generally are much more appreciative because you're coming to them and they don't need to drive 40 miles to a club or they don't have to wait for John Mulaney to come to town yeah. to have some entertainment. We're doing these like casino shows in Laden. Do you know Laden? It's like kind of a smaller city in Oklahoma. No, no. People I just shit, shit, I, shit on it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I know Stillwater, Tulsa, Oklahoma city, Norman. Like, like if, if you don't have like a, a college team there or all American rejects weren't from there, <laughs> then I don't know. Every, everybody shits on Laden. Like I like Laden. Like, I love people from Laden. I have a lot of friends from Laden, but they call it rotten Laden. And they like, you know, like people are classist here and they'll just like shit on Laden. But I, I did a casino in Laden. And it was just like, they packed it out. I got a meal ticket. I got like 200 bucks. And I was just like, everybody's laughing. Everybody's coming with me out of the show. They just treat me like I'm just a fucking a thing, you know, I'm not like just some loser guy, which I am and am not. <laughs> but uh, they're like, you know, it just made me like, shows like that make you feel like, legit or it makes you feel like you didn't waste your time perfecting this craft you know because they they enjoyed this art for this evening because we provided a service this on shows like that i'm hungover and i like i'm not making <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you're, you're hungover it's 8 30 or 7 30 for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i didn't I, get the most most sleep last night <laughs> <laughs> well you went out for a jog that's your fault yeah i did i'm trying to still like i still show up to work and i like still did my job pretty well today even i drink a lot of coffee but i think all the coffee is like gone <laughs> oh my god i i don't remember uh i'm out of shape now but i trained for a my sister wanted to run a 5k so she yeah. trained she trained for that and she said hey do you want to run it with me and i go no but <laughs> i'm very competitive and i was out of shape so i'm like yeah i'll train so i trained for like a summer to run a 5k and i lost weight for it and god i don't i don't remember my time it was like I think it was like low thirties. So it was like embarrassing. I thought it was embarrassing for a lot of people. Uh, Maybe, no, it must've been like 30, 35 or something like that. I got it. I think if I ran that right now, I'd be happy. Oh, I would be thrilled, (laughs) but no, but I, I don't think it's, it must be like, I'm going to say it's been five years since I've run like for any uh, amount of time. Like, I'm like, I just, I'll just, you know, I'll get there earlier. (laughs) <laughs> like, like I'll just walk and I don't, I have no ambition to go for a jog. I started running during the pandemic. Cause I didn't, like, I got laid off and I was at my house and I was just like, I gotta do something. I couldn't do, I, I couldn't do comedy. Yeah. And I'm, I was a social person, you know? So, and, and I needed something to work towards. So I just kind of just fucking put it into the road. 
So what's your goal? I mean, what do you want? I mean, obviously you're, you're happy right now. You got the job, you got, uh, yeah. I assume a, a band that's doing pretty well and a comedy career that's doing pretty well. I mean, is, is it just basically, <laughs> Hey, I'll just live life right now. I think so. Like I got this job, but I'm just like saving a little bit of money. I'm paying all my bills on time. I'm still, I'm going to have two monthly shows and that's kind of like, I think for the most part, kind of like reacclimate me back into comedy and maybe just like, hopefully just scratch my itch. Cause like there's, there's some destructive things I've done because of comedy. I don't really want to pursue it. Like to the point where I like, I get angry or petty again or put myself in bad situations. And uh, yeah, I just got this band. It's doing well. We're not super famous either, but people like our, some people like our music. So I don't fucking care anymore. It's like, let's just do it. So is it, it's just you and your brother or is this no, we, it? We have three other bandmates now. Okay. Yeah. And they've been yeah. on our band for five years. So we're keeping it together. We just got a new music video. We got a new record coming. We've just been tracking stuff the entire pandemic. We just been writing songs. So hopefully all that shit will just come out and something will happen. If not, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I've lived the dream enough to where I, I, I just, I feel like pretty content to be honest. Do you know when the album's coming out? Nah, we, we're right now, like somebody said, there's giving us like release strategies and saying something like we should just release singles, like just release the whole thing as singles. Cause we have like, if we're playing those Spotify numbers, we could have like a bump. You can promote every song like it's a record. And I don't know if that's the best way, but right now that's like what we're thinking. Well, isn't that what like TRL used to do? Like MTV would, they'd max out at like 61 days in the countdown. And then Britney Spears would have another, like it was just a, a marketing tool basically. I, I never had cable as a kid, so I don't, I don't know. Well, MTV was this channel that had... I know what MTV is. I just, <laughs> I would have to like my friend, every, one time my friend like just put a VHS and recorded MTV for me and he gave me like this like two hour video of just uh, a two hour cassette of just music videos. And that was like my MTV. <laughs> who's, who's the, what's the one video you remember from that? Like uh, Nerf Herder Van Halen. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I fucking love Nerf Herder. <laughs> I love Nerf Herder too. They're so good. And I just think they're a really, really fun listen. Have you heard? Uh, this, this song doesn't make sense anymore, but they, there was like one of their newer songs was called Ghostbusters 3. Have you heard Yeah. That? Yeah. And like, I, I love that song. Like, they're, they're still writing stupid shit. But it was it's like, like, is it Rockingham? Is that the, the name of that album? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've got Andy <laughs> Gertz on it, which is such a good song. And then we opened for Weezer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're so good and that's another band where like i can't listen to them and be sad <laughs> like i mean it's just uh, i don't know they're they're sportsman bar is a really great song sportsman bar and then uh welcome to my world yeah welcome it, to my, even though they're like they're pervy shit like there's that song where he's like jacking off behind a girl in the yes. movie theater i was just like i forgive it i don't give a shit like you know like, <laughs> They've got a song that it's like fight for your right to masturbate. Like, but they're, they're dorks. It, like, yeah. I don't know if they're, they're, they're nerd rock or whatever, but God, I, but I've never seen them. And I, I hope that I get to see them and uh, man, I, I don't know if they'd be good live or, or not, but there's, there's YouTube videos. I think they played a show maybe like two years ago. I got to say, like I, I started talking to you and I never thought we would end on Nerf Herder. <laughs> uh, this is amazing. <laughs> We should, uh, we should talk every week. I mean, this is like, I didn't have, like, I've been trying to get, like, I work from home now. So, like, yeah. I've made a goal to, like, get out of the house five times a week. I haven't put gas in my car in a month because, like, that's how little I leave the house now. And uh, so, like, I'm this this is taking up my, like, my social energy for the evening. And it's, like, it's been good. <laughs> it's been really healthy for me. <laughs> I'm glad you said healthy. Yeah. Most people say depressing. 
So no, I'm all positive now. Even even when even in my like, I got to get out of the house kind of phase. Like I I, I know I have to get out of the house though. So like this, I I recognize that this is good. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> well, man, this is amazing. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. And and do you have any any uh, social media to plug? Any anything coming up you want people to know about? Yeah, yeah. Um, I run a comedy label called Robot Save City. Um, RobotSaveCity.com. There's links to our band camp. It has all our records. Also, check out my band, The Nims. Uh, it's spelled the, and then N-G-H-I-E-M-S, The Nims. We got a new song called K-Pop Band. It's about a tongue-in-cheek song about starting a K-pop band. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, what's it like? But <laughs> I, Do you have to know K-pop to get into the song? No, it just it honestly just sounds like Kokomo. It's like an indie pop song that sounds like Kokomo. It's a, we wrote it for our little brother who lived was uh, in Korea during the pandemic, and we we're just like we're gonna move to Korea and like start a K-pop band to say hello to our brother. And it just turned into this like fucking I don't know. People are liking it, so I don't I don't fucking know. Yeah, I was gonna say don't question it. <laughs> well, dude, again, man, thank you so much for doing this, and you know, best of luck with everything. And uh, I'll definitely listen to the album. Yeah, if, you, if you're if you ever in Oklahoma, hit me up about shows. I, I'm running two shows, and I'll just make a show if you come down, because I like you so much. <laughs> you know, you're so sweet. Uh, but <laughs> I do this podcast, and almost everybody's like, yeah, come down. And I'm like, you don't mean that, but I actually believe you. No, I, I definitely mean it. You come down with Ellen. I'll put both of you. Like, uh, Ellen Doyle's the worst, though. <laughs> no, we, we talked about That's how we met Ellen Doyle, uh, comedian, and she's in Scranton now. And she's fantastic. But she was like, yeah, you got to talk to James. You got to talk to James. I was like, all right, I'll talk to James. Now I have to text her and say, you were right. He was I was fun. surprised she recommended me because I haven't talked to her in like a year. Like, I don't, I don't remember the last time I talked to her. Ah, Ellen's like a Rolodex. She knows everybody. <laughs> but, but again, dude, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you in a bit. Yeah. Later, man. Wings off inside, some peeling back my sunburnt skin. Oh, wait outside your bedroom. I, I hope they let me in.